Please open your Bibles with me to the table of contents. The passage we'll be in this morning is a tad tricky to locate. We'll be in the Old Testament this morning. It'll be in the Minor Prophets. Now, we all know Jonah, right? We're not going to do that one. What we are going to do is the book after that, and that is Micah. We're going to be in Micah chapter 6, and we'll be in verses 1 through 8. This is a passage that um, Micah is telling the people of Israel to repent, come back to God, come back to his ways, remember his covenant, remember what he's done. And they have rebelled, and they need to repent. And so Micah is going to give an illustration for them to take their sin seriously. Let's begin in verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Hear now what Yahweh is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, the indictment of Yahweh, and you enduring the foundations of the earth, because Yahweh has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, ransomed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, Miriam. My people, remember now what Balaam, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of Yahweh. Verse 6. With what shall I come to Yahweh and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does Yahweh take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. What does Yahweh require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? <clears throat> Some of you all know the story of how Don and I got that new Nissan car. Now, it don't look new, but it was new to us when we got it. It was my move-in day to ETBU. We were moving in to ETBU. Everything went fine. I got my stuff in uh, my dorm, and Don wanted to go to Longview to eat. And because of the kind of guy I am, I just thought I might do that. So we're on the way to Longview, but we get into a wreck. He's also the kind of guy I am, but that's neither here or there. But um, as, we, as we get there, and by the grace of God, we were okay. And um, even though the car was damaged, totaled, it was not able to uh, no longer be driven, the insurance money came in so that I can purchase that car. Now, you will notice on that car there are some scratches. There are some dents on it. There's a bumper. Uh, there's a mask on the bumper. I didn't do that. Okay, I just want to make that clear. I did not do that on the car. But, um, <laughs> but... Every now and then, when Don and I drive with that car to uh, Longview, to work, to eat, I'll ask Don, is that a new scratch? Is that a new dent? Or has that always been there? And she'll, she'll look at it and say, no, that scratch has always been there. No, that dent is not new. It, it was there when we got it. You see, just because I received the car with scratches does not mean I want it to continue to be scratched. And just because I received that car with dents does not mean I want it to continue to have dents on it. And just because you and I are bought by Christ for the purchase of our sins does not mean he wants us to continue to live in sin. And just because Israel was the chosen people of God in their rebellion, their stiff-necked and stubborn ways, Yahweh still chose them, but that did not mean he wanted them to continue to be rebellious. 
He didn't want them to continue in that sin, and he wants them to take their sin seriously. That's where we're at in the prophet Micah. Micah is a, um, a prophet who, um, who, uh, where his responsibility was to make sure that the people of God were rebuked. They did more rebuking than they did foretelling, which is why they weren't very much liked. And in this passage, he starts off with his rebuke as an illustration. And within the illustration, it's to make sure they come back to God, to come back to his ways. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Micah says, Hear now what Yahweh is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of Yahweh and you enduring foundations of the earth, because Yahweh has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. So we see in the first two verses that it's an illustration of um, Yahweh being in a courtroom with Israel. And Yahweh is the prosecutor. If Yahweh is the prosecutor against you and me, we better plead guilty. Okay, we don't have a case, we're going to lose, right? And that is actually my first point. When you and I do sin, we need to be humble and come to him in repentance. That's the whole reason this illustration is there, is to tell the people of Israel, to take your sin seriously. And that's what you and I are to do as well, to take our sin seriously and to come back to God. Now, interestingly enough, with this illustration of a courtroom, in America, if you and I are called to jury duty, if we know the person who is on trial, or if we know the defender or the prosecutor or the judge, we get dismissed. There's just no unfairness to be had. I want y'all to look one more time at verses 1 and 2, because I want y'all to notice something real quick. Hear now what Yahweh is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of Yahweh, and you endearing foundations of the earth, because Yahweh has a case against his people, even with Israel, he will dispute. So not only... Well, let's talk about the hills and the, and the mountains and the enduring foundations of the earth. Who created the mountains? Yahweh did. The hills, same thing. He is the one who's in charge of the foundations of the earth. He knows them, and the foundations of the earth know God. They're on jury. They are affiliated with Yahweh. So not only is Yahweh the prosecutor, those on jury know who Yahweh is. This case is not looking good for Israel. And if that, if y'all thought Israel did not have a case then, let me ask y'all a question. Who's the judge? Yahweh. Yeah, this case is not looking good for Israel. And why is there an illustrative mention of a case at all? It's to make sure they take their sin seriously. He wants them to be reminded that their sin is to be repented of, to make sure they take him seriously. And within that, let's, let's look at what his, Yahweh's case is to Israel. Verses 3 through 5. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, ransomed you from the house of slavery, sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balaam, king of Moab, counseled? And what Balaam son of Beor answered him, and from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of Yahweh. So we see that within that, that Yahweh gives more 
of a defense for himself. When he asks the question, what have I done to you? What have I done to you? And then he gives them these reasons of what Yahweh has done for them. And this gets to my second point, and that is that when you and I do sin, we need to remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives. When you and I sin, we need to remind ourselves of what Christ has done, what Yahweh has done for our lives. Now, in this, in this passage, when Yahweh asks the question, what have I done to you? It's a similar way of a parent who asks their child, their disobedient child, what did I do to you? What did I do to deserve such disrespect, to disobey me? Did I not get put food on your table, put clothes on your back? Do I not give you a room to sleep in? It's the same similar questions that Yahweh is giving to the people of Israel. What have I done to you? I have freed you from bondage of Egypt. I have sent you spiritual leaders to be led by them. And no, they weren't perfect, but I am, and I was with you the whole time. What have I done to you to deserve such disrespect, such sin? And these questions can actually be applicable to you and I. Because even though Israel uh, was free from the bondage of Egypt, you and I are free from the bondage of sin because of Christ. And we are to take our sin seriously as well. The reason that Yahweh reminds them of his acts, of what he has done for their lives, is because he wants them to know that he is righteous and that his acts are righteous. That's what it says in the last part of verse 5 so that you might know the righteous acts of Yahweh. These righteous acts were for Israel to remember who he is, what he's done for their life, so that they can come back to him, so that they can have and act on their relationship with him. And you and I can do the same thing with our relationship with Christ as we remember his work on the cross. We are to delight in our relationship with God. And that is my third point. We are to delight in our God, or to delight in our relationship with God. Israel did not take their delight in God, at least in this moment. They did not take their relationship with God seriously because their actions of sin showed that they did not delight in their relationship. Some of the sins that they were committing was idolatry to the point to where they would worship them, but they would also go to these idols for uh, provisional aspects for provision, but also they weren't treating their own people fairly in this context. They were not treating their own people fairly. The minority if of, of Israel, they were not treating them fairly. And within that, they also, some of the rituals that they had to do for God, they saw it as a checkbox. They saw it as a checkbox to do, it's, it's, it's a mindset that they could say, well, yeah, I sinned, but I'll just sacrifice a lamb and I'll be okay. It was a checkbox. It wasn't a relational form of communication that they sh it should have been. They didn't take it seriously. And you and I, when we do the rituals of church, they're not salvific, but they are a means of our relationship with Christ. When you and I do the rituals of prayer, do we pray or do we enjoy praying? Do we enjoy the ritual of having church at all? Or do we use it as a checkbox? Do we enjoy the scripture readings? Do we enjoy the music? Do we enjoy coming together for God's people? 
Or do we just do so because we have to? Israel did, that's what Israel did. They used their own rituals as a means of a checkbox rather than an opportunity for them to delight in their relationship with God. It was supposed to be a response, a meaningful, purposeful response of their sin. But instead, this is the response you get at Israel's sin. If you look at verses 6 and 7. What shall I come to Yahweh and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does Yahweh take delight in thousands of rams, ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the first uh, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Again, Micah gives a response from Israel as if that's what Israel would say, but it's not what they should be saying. We're so bad. Does, does Yahweh really take delight in these rams? Does he really take delight in these rivers of oils that we put on ourselves? Would he? Are we that bad that maybe he would accept our firstborn to be sacrificed? Are we that bad? And the answer is no. That's not it at all. He wants them to have that relationship with him and to enjoy the rituals that they had. Now, again, you and I, as a New Testament church, we enjoy the rituals of, of our church together, of prayer, of, of coming to him, of um, representing Christ. Because for Israel, with their walk with God in the Mosaic Covenant, how they enjoyed the land was based off of their obedience. Now, you and I are not in the Mosaic Covenant. You and I are in the Covenant of Grace. And because of that, you and I have a bigger obligation to obey. Because of the grace that's been given to us. Because our sins have been forgiven. And we are to follow Christ in the same way that Yahweh um, was to have Israel follow him in their time. They were to delight in their relationship with God. And we are as well with our relationship with God. Now back to, back to is, uh, Israel and the Mosaic Covenant. Micah gives them a reminder of, uh, of their sin to come back to him. But I want us to look at his response in verse 7. Does Yahweh take delight in thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body, the sin of my soul? When we look at that term where Israel says, should I present my firstborn? The immediate answer is no. Now something you and I can see as a New Testament church is that this is a shadow of what's to come. No, they're not to give their firstborn. But you and I know who gave his son. That's God. Why does Israel not have to give their, their firstborn? Because God the Father gave his son for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God was the one who gave his son for our rebellious acts. Not Israel. And now Israel didn't know um, that this was a shadow. This is just a random question that they asked. But for you and I, when we see that, we can look upon God and say, wow, you did that for our rebellious acts. You did that for my sin. You did that for our sin. And so now in this covenant of grace that you and I are now in, we can delight in our God, Christ. You and I can delight in him and now have a response of love. Love to God and love to others. And that is my final point. 
We are to love our God, and we are to love others. And this is a very similar response that Micah gives in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does Yahweh require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? It's not about the sacrifices. It's not about the rituals. It's about the relationship with him. That is the point. They were to do everything correctly. And in that verse, we see that God wants them to do three things. To to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with their God. To do justice, again, that was a means of trying to communicate to them to treat everyone fairly. Treat the minority fairly. Treat people you don't like fairly. Treat those who we don't know or um, don't expect to be treated fairly. We need to treat them fairly too. For you and I as a church, how do we treat those older than us? How do we treat those younger than us? Israel was also to love kindness. That can be a language to remember their covenant with God. Come back to the covenant that God with you. Now, for again, Israel had a covenant from uh, the Mosaic covenant for them to obey what they need to do so that they can enjoy the land, and they weren't doing so. You and I can still apply that to remember our covenant with Christ, with grace, to remember that we are covered in His love, to remember that we are covered by His grace. The third thing that He mentions is that they are to um, walk humbly with their God. Some scholars mention that this can mean a term to walk humbly as in the sense of walk carefully. Not more, not more so of humility, but to walk carefully. To walk carefully with your God. If you walk carefully with your God, you're careful not to stumble. If you and I walk carefully in our relationship with Christ, you and I are careful not to stumble. Now again, when you and I do, we can still take delight and hope in him because he's willing to forgive. And he was always willing to forgive Israel if they came back to him, if they came back to him in repentance, because that's what matters to God is our relationship with him. That's what matters to God is Israel's relationship with him. Let me explain it this way. I'm not going to name any names, but I got into an argument last week with my fiance. And it doesn't matter who was right or who was wrong. What matters was that there was a reconciliation. In a very similar way, what matters with God is the reconciliation of his people. Israel needs to come back and be reconciled with God, and you and I and the world can with Christ today. And that is what matters to God the most, is the reconciliation of his people, to everyone. When, because of that, we are to take our sin seriously, Israel to take their sin seriously, to come back to him. And by the way, there's always hope for reconciliation for everyone. There is always hope for reconciliation for anyone. None of us can out God. And if you and I could, we'd be more powerful than him. And praise God, you and I are not. There's always hope for reconciliation. I want to mention a passage of James 2.13. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it for you. It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. The theological principle is that God 
is willing to give mercy over his judgment. He is just, and he's also love, and he prefers to give mercy. He preferred to give mercy to everyone. Because you and I have to remember, God did not send his son to the world to condemn it. He sent his son to the world to save it, or to be reconciled. And by the way, in Micah's illustration of the courtroom, of Yahweh being the prosecutor, of him knowing the jury, and of Yahweh being the judge, did not mean that Israel was doomed. Because the judge prefers to give mercy in judgments. Just because Israel had a terrible case does not mean that they were doomed. Because the judge would prefer to give them mercy instead of judgment. But if he has to, he will. Now, let me read you the whole verse of James 2.13. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Why, do you, why should you and I be, receive mercy if we don't give mercy to anyone else? And to quote the Son of God, be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. We give mercy to others because God gave us mercy first. How much more so are we to do that because of the grace he's given to us? Micah wanted Israel to treat everyone within Israel fairly. He wanted them to stop going to idols, stop worshiping them, to stop going to them, and to treat everyone fairly in acts of love, and to come back to God in repentance to him as a means to love him, to represent him. That's what they were to do. That that's what Micah calls them to do in their reconciliation with God because there is hope. Even Micah says there's hope. Let's flip the page and go to Micah 7, 18 through 20. I want to read it for you. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. Even Micah says there is hope for reconciliation. Repent and come back to God. Remember what he's done for you. And the world needs to acknowledge that there's salvation and reconciliation for them as well. That God loves them as well. It's the very same God loves them. It's the very same God loves everyone. If we repent, we can and will be forgiven. There's hope in reconciliation with God. In the words of Paul Washer that I saw in a video the other day, if you have sinned, that is the opportunity to run to God, not run from him. Because he is a God who forgives. Because he is a God full of compassion and full of love, who is willing to forgive. You and I, again, in this covenant of grace, have been given compassion for our sins. And to take that seriously. To take our relationship with God seriously. And our walk with Him. It's now a call for you and I to be compassionate to everyone. To be compassionate to those who need Christ. Israel was to be compassionate to those of the minority within Israel. 
and you and I are to do the same with the world, but also to give mercy to our fellow church members when we need it. The very person who needs mercy, that's when the, the very person who should be given mercy is the person who needs it the most. The very person who should receive grace is the person that needs grace the most. Because you and I were once that person with God. You and I needed mercy and grace from God, and he gave it to you and me. This is a call to be compassionate to everyone, to remember what Christ has done for us, and most importantly, to walk humbly with our God. We're going to have a time of invitation, a time of a ritual of prayer, to pray to him, to repent of our sin if we have any sin that we need to acknowledge. A time where we can pray for others, a time where we can come to our God who loves us, our God who is compassionate to us. Let's pray. God, you are a very compassionate, loving God who is full of patience. We're so grateful that you demonstrate your love for Israel and the scriptures. We're so grateful that you demonstrate your love to us, not only in experience, but also in the scriptures as well. We are so grateful. We're so grateful to show the demonstration example of the patience you've shown with Israel and that you show for the whole world, for everyone to come to repentance and faith. We're so grateful for your love and your compassion. We give you this time now to respond, to work, and to respond with our relationship with you, to take you seriously. In Jesus' name.